This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. So as we are pursuing more of God in His Word today, we're going through the book of Titus. And last week, we started off by going through the first chapter, and we went through the entire first chapter of the book of Titus, and we talked about character being the standard of leadership. Leadership is influence. Remember, that's what leadership is. It's not about position. It's not about a responsibility you have at work. It's not about some title. It's not about some degree that you earned. Leadership at its core is influence. And every one of us have been given influence at some level, whether that's with friends, whether that's with coworkers, whether that's internally in your own family. Every one of us are called to some level of leadership, and we need to recognize that be responsible for it, and grow in it. Leadership is influence. Now, Paul is shifting in the second chapter of Titus from laying out the character that's needed for leadership, because remember, he was instructing Titus on who he should select to put in positions of leadership and the type of character that these people should display. So now Paul is shifting in the part of qualification and character to more of leadership development. He's beginning to actually instruct Titus on what he needs to teach others so that good works and morality can reflect the grace of God at work in the church. So if you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Titus, chapter 2. The title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is Expanding influence. If you're taking notes, write that down, expanding influence. Now, as you're turning to Titus, um, perhaps you're having to look at the front of your Bible to the actual concordance to find out which page it's on because it's such a small book and perhaps one that you may not have read very often or didn't even know existed in Scripture. But as you're finding Titus, I just want to remind you that the reason this letter was written to Titus by the Apostle Paul was he was giving him instruction. And remember that as he was giving him instruction, Titus was a young pastor, and Paul was his mentor, the Apostle Paul. And he was showing and teaching Titus through this letter how he was to teach and lead and create a healthy structure within the church so that the church could reach more people. Remember, they're in the area of Crete, and Crete was one of the southern isles, or still is, one of the southern isles off of Greece. And they were very paganistic people, and they were also known for their uh, habitual lying. They would lie all the time, and they would associate lying with the people from Crete. So here's Paul writing to Titus to show them a better way to put leaders in place who have character, and now he's showing them what to teach those leaders. So let's look at the very first verse of chapter 2 in the book of Titus. Paul writes to young Titus and says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Let's stop right there. He tells him to teach what agrees with, what accords with sound doctrine. Now, as I was looking at this phrase, sound doctrine, I had to stop myself because we can often do this when we approach Scripture. We read something and we glance over it and we think we understand what it means. And so we just have this idea or familiarity perhaps with the phrase or with the word. So because we're so familiar with it and it's one of those church words or one of those Christian words or one of those Christian phrases, we just kind of glaze over it and we never stop 
to really think about what it means. Well, as I was studying and preparing for this message, I read over that first verse and did what I've always done, just trying to get to the other part of it. I'm just reading through. And then I just got kind of this check in my spirit that said, stop, go back, read the first verse. And as I went back and read the first verse, I thought, what in the world does he mean when he says sound doctrine? He says, teach sound doctrine. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. And so I really began to do a lot of research and look up what is he saying when he's talking about sound doctrine. Well, what I found was that Paul actually references this phrase, sound doctrine, in other epistles. And he talks to Timothy about it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, if you want to write that down and perhaps look that up later. Or 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. He also uses this same idea, this same phrase of sound doctrine. Now, including Titus, all three of these instances of using this phrase sound doctrine point to a higher standard as a result of the gospel. And it's this higher standard is contradictory to what is commonly accepted or desired. So when he's using this phrase sound doctrine, what he's talking about is really the gospel. Because the gospel is sound doctrine and it causes us to raise the standard. So when we see here, teach what accords with sound doctrine, teach what accords and agrees with sound doctrine, he's saying teach what agrees with the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. There's so much that is in the cross. There's so much that we could teach from the cross of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, you need to make sure everything that you say lines up and agrees with the reason Christ came and His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that message needs to be infused into everything you teach as you're equipping leaders. That's what he's saying. If you want successful leaders, if you want to be successful, if you want to grow in your walk with God, or if you want to grow and see any measure of real success in life, then everything needs to be founded on the gospel of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's sound doctrine. He's saying everything that you say should come from this place. You don't teach your own idea and then use the scripture to back up your idea. No, you teach from a place of a healthy understanding of the gospel, and that healthy understanding of the gospel is going to be that groundwork and that foundation that is going to cause that standard to be raised. Everything we teach, everything we believe, everything that we are listening to needs to be rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you begin to hear teaching that is not grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I hope that a red flag is raised and I hope your ears perk up and you recognize that it could be someone using the Bible to try to be a tool of manipulation or to use certain scriptures to be a tool of manipulation or to be uh, something that would serve some selfish agenda of man. But if it's really, truly something that's going to help us grow, the standard, the foundation, always has to be the gospel. Amen? Paul always went back to the gospel. As a matter of fact, Paul was quoted as saying, you know, all the things I studied and prayed about and learned and all the things I've taught and all the things I've done, he said, I don't know anything, but I do claim to know this. Jesus Christ and himself was crucified. That's what I do know. He said, that's the core. Everything else, I, I, I don't know, but this is what I'm 100% confident about. And everything needs to flow out of that understanding. The grace of God is 
key and crucial to growing as a leader and understanding the grace of God. Because the grace of God is not something you earn. The grace of God is not something you deserve. The grace of God is something that was given not because of us, but in spite of us. And that grace that was given from God is given to save us from our sin and empower us to live a life free from sin. That's why the grace of God is key to understanding growing as a leader. That's why the grace of God is key to growing in sound doctrine and raising that standard. Paul is telling Titus, listen, stick to the gospel because it is applicable to every age, every social group, every dynamic. This is something that crosses all bounds, all of the different things that we can look at in our world that divide us. The grace of God puts us all on the same playing field, because it doesn't matter how you were brought up. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what life experience you've had. It doesn't matter what bad choices you've made. It doesn't matter what you've been victimized in in life. It doesn't matter the type of environment that you grew up in. It doesn't matter how much money you make. The grace of God is needed by all and it is received by all the exact same way. And he's saying, you're all important to me and you all matter and you're all worth the same to me. And this is my free gift to you. That's what the grace of God does. And so the temptation for people who see themselves as leaders and see and understand influence is for themselves to think higher of themselves than they should. That's always the temptation. When you're a person who has been delegated authority on any level, you begin to think, I'm better than this person at some level because I'm in charge. It could even be as simple as a relationship between a husband and wife. You're called to lead, but because you have a position of leadership doesn't mean you're better than your spouse. You may be called to lead your children, but that doesn't mean you demean them and talk down to them just because you have a position of leadership. Just because you've been given a title at work and you moved up in management doesn't mean now you get to treat those who are beneath you on the pay scale worse. Amen? It doesn't give you a license or a right. It doesn't give a pastor a license or a right to use the Word of God for manipulation or begin to talk down to a congregation. And that's what he's saying here to Titus. You need to keep the grace of God at the very forefront and the foundation of everything you do. Teach to everyone what accords with sound doctrine because that's going to cause them to raise the standard because it's going to give them a healthy understanding of the grace of God instead of an entitlement mentality, instead of an entitlement mentality that would lead to an abuse of power, an entitlement mentality that would lead to manipulation or greed or would lead to all sorts of sinful things if we keep the grace of God at the forefront and we realize, guess what? We're all in the same boat because we all need Jesus the same and we never stop needing Jesus. When we realize that and we wake up to that, we go, wow, you know what? I I need to serve other people instead of me looking at myself as better than. The grace of God humbles my heart. The grace of God puts my heart in a position that remains teachable. So many people in our day and age miss teachability because they think that they've accomplished something in their life that everyone else should take note of, and therefore they should be this Yoda figure and everyone else should be the Padawan. And we stop being learners. And when we stop learning, that's when we start 
regressing. That's when we start to begin to ostracize ourselves from other people, and we don't even really recognize it because we think, well, if they don't want to be with me or if they don't want to be around me, then perhaps it's just because they're not seeing things my way, and maybe one day they'll see how much of a genius I am. People begin to isolate themselves, and they don't even realize it because they become unteachable. They become unteachable. We always need to be humble in our approach to truth. And we always need to be humble in the way that we have relationship with one another because perhaps we could learn. Perhaps we could grow. Perhaps we could be challenged in something. Perhaps something would make us think a little differently about the way that we interact with other people instead of being so set on our idea of the way things has, have to be. Because the Apostle Paul said, I don't know anything except Christ crucified. I don't know anything. That's my foundation. And everything is going to come out of that. But I'm going to remain teachable in this life. I'm going to humble myself and make sure that my heart is in a position that's truly understanding the grace of God. Let's look at verse 2, and let's go ahead and go through the rest of the chapter. Verse 2 through 15 is what we're about to read here. After he said to teach what accords with sound doctrine, he says older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are also to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame. This opponent would have nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. As we look through this scripture, oftentimes Titus 2 has been taught from the standpoint of verse 2, where it starts talking about what the older men should be doing in regards to mentoring. I've even preached similar messages because there's a lot of truth in that, to where older men need to be mentoring, need to have these uh, types of relationships where they are living a life of character and raising the standard and investing in the younger. And then it transitions to women and talks about how women should be investing in younger women. They should be teaching that next generation. And I very much believe in cross-generational mentoring. And I very much believe that those uh, principles that are in this portion of Scripture are very true. However, I don't think that the point of Paul writing this letter, if we do proper exegesis of this passage of Scripture, I don't think the purpose of Paul writing this was to actually teach 
the older men or the older women or the younger men or the younger women. The purpose of this passage was to teach Titus how to instruct them and to teach Titus on the types of things he should be telling them. So through that lens, we need to look at this scripture because that's the way that Paul wrote it to Titus. He says, listen, this is what I want you to see. I want you to teach what accords in sound do- with sound doctrine, and here's what I want you to say. You need to begin to do these types of teachings that are in line with the gospel. You need to do these types of instructions that are in line with the gospel. Things like teaching the older men, teaching the younger men, teaching the, the older women and the younger women, teaching people who are bond servants, or we could translate that in our day and time as people who are employees and employers, and teaching those people. We, we make sure that we have the, the, these things in line, make sure that we're being people who are living our lives in a way that they can't come against us and say, well, that gospel is a lie, or that thing that they're teaching is a lie, or, oh, that church is just a bunch of hypocrites, or, oh, that's just like all of the other teachers that come in and out of town that only stay for a season and fill their pockets and then leave town. We need to show them something different, and here's what I need you to teach them because this is going to be how you're going to have a sound, healthy church is if you instruct these groups of people to do these things. In other words, you need to expand your influence. You need to influence those who have influence. You need to make sure that you're instructing those who have influence to use it in a way that's going to bring glory to God. And here is how you do it. Paul's saying, here, if you want people to listen to you, Titus then you need to take seriously what you do. You need to take seriously what you say, how you model, and how to be a leader of the grace of God at work in someone's heart. In other words, he's saying, look at your life. Are you living that testimony of the grace of God at work in a leader's heart? Because that influence will expand if you do. And then you need to teach other people so that they can also understand their role, understand their level of influence that God has given them, and then when they invest in the next generation, that they take what they do seriously because you modeled it seriously, and as a result, the people they're teaching take it seriously and grow as leaders and begin to model, and influence begins to expand, and it has this ripple effect. But somebody has to start. Somebody has to stand up and model, and that's what Paul is saying to Titus. He's saying, listen, bud, You need to step up and model. After he tells him the types of things that he needs to teach, he gets right up in Titus's business. He gets right up in Titus's face. And he says, listen, he says, uh, you need to urge younger men to be self-controlled by showing yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, you need to be someone who teaches from a place of integrity. You need to teach from a place of integrity, a place of dignity. Your speech needs to be sound so it can't be condemned. So that your opponent would actually be put to shame if they tried to come against you. Because you're teaching and instructing and living and modeling with such a level of integrity that if anyone would dare come against you, that they would be put to shame because so many people would say, no, that's that's not true. That's not true. You're you're trying to come against this person? No, 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 no. They walk with integrity. You You don't know them. You're just trying to tear them down. And then he would have nothing evil to say. He said, that's the type of leader you need to be, Titus. He gets right up in his face. And he says, this is important. He said, at the very end, he says, do these things, exhort and rebuke in all authority and let no one disregard you. 
Could you imagine being a young pastor and having the Apostle Paul tell you to exhort and rebuke with all authority and don't let anyone disregard you? Could you imagine being a young guy or a young gal and hearing the Apostle Paul tell you that? Sunday morning, let me tell you people something. Let me tell you what's on my mind. Let me tell you what I think you should and should not be doing. And let me tell you how I'm right and you're wrong. Because we've all seen and experienced and maybe are currently living in the arrogance of youth. (laughs) Youth has a tendency to be arrogant, does it not? Youth has a tendency to think that it knows everything and knows better than everyone. Youth has a tendency to not listen to those who are older or take instruction from those who are older because youth wants to present itself as being right. And here the Apostle Paul tells Titus that, hey, bud, I want you with all authority to rebuke. Don't let anybody disregard you. But he didn't lead off with that, did he? He didn't start off by telling them to do that. He said, listen, that's going to be part of your job as a pastor. It's going to be part of your job as a leader. It's going to be to actually hold people accountable. And when they begin to drift away, you're going to have to rebuke them. You're going to have to call them out on their sin. And you're actually going to encourage them as well and exhort them and do it with all authority. But for you to do that, all of these other things I just told you are going to have to be in place too. Otherwise, you're actually going to hurt the church and hurt the kingdom of God rather than help. Amen? How many times have leaders hurt the kingdom of God because they moved forward with their own immaturity, because they lashed out in their own personal aggression, because they made decisions in their own thinking higher of themselves than they should, and it hurt the body of Christ because they only read the last verse of Titus 2. How many times have we been guilty of hurting influence that God has granted us because we only read the last verse, because we thought we were the big shot, because we thought we knew it all, because we thought we were the ones who were going to fix this church or fix this relationship or fix this problem at work or fix this thing or fix that. And if everybody would just listen to us, man, we've got it figured out over here. I don't know what the problem is. I'm just waiting on them to come ask me because I'm a genius. And I have all of this experience and knowledge and everyone just needs to come and sit at my feet and burn incense and throw money and food. And that's this idea that we have that sometimes in our own arrogance, we only read the last verse and we miss the grace of God being at the foundation. We miss the teaching coming from sound doctrine. We miss the portion of love, we miss the portion of patience, we miss the portion of influence and leading and being that type of model that's modeling the very things that we hope to reciprocate in our own lives. We miss the modeling aspect of influence and we miss the teachability and we miss the humility because who you are is going to affect what you do. Oftentimes, we look at that backwards. We think that what we do is going to affect who we are. I don't think that that's as true because anybody can put up a good front. 
anybody can do the right things in the right settings. Anybody can be that person they need to be in that moment. But when you begin to get close to that individual, you begin to see something different in who they are. But if we start with who we are, if we start with our very identity being the foundation in that sound doctrine, being rooted and grounded in the sound doctrine of the gospel, if we allow who we are to be identified with Christ, then it will affect what we do. A lot of people say they're Christians, but not very many live lives like they are. A lot of people say they love God, but not very many people live their lives like they do. A lot of people say that they are submitted to God and that God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And they know that they're supposed to say the last part when the pastor says the first part. And they know that. But they don't live like God is good. They don't live from a place of generosity. They don't live from a place of love. They don't live from a place of submission and joy. They don't live from a place of forgiving other people. We want to hold people ransom. We want to get what's ours and protect it. That's how often people live. But if we start with the foundation of who we are, then it's going to affect what we do if we really know God. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians that the Apostle Paul writes about should be a result of knowing who we are in Christ. Amen? It should be a result, a fruit of knowing God. Because who we are should affect what we do. Man, as a leader, we think if we can just get the what to do down, we'll be good. As a person who has influence, we think if we could just find that secret that's going to turn this thing around. I want to hear that one thing, read that one book, go to that one seminar, watch that one speaker that's going to say that one magical phrase that I'm going to be able to go back with all of this great fire and indignation and I'm going to fix all of the problems of my organization or my company or my marriage or my children after I get this one phrase and then I just take that and I champion that and I think this one thing is just going to change everything but if I don't look at who I am in the mirror, it's not going to last. And I'm probably going to leave a lot of wounded people in my wake because I think I know it all. Because I think I, I, I can move forward doing what I want to do without humbling myself and remaining teachable and saying, Lord, I know you've put me in a position of leadership. I know that you've given me a certain area of influence in my life. God, help me to live my life in a way where I can model for others your grace at work in my heart that I can model that sound doctrine, that who I am is a reflection of my understanding of a sound doctrine because then I begin to identify with the grace of God. Then I begin to identify with the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Then I begin to identify with all of these things that I have heard about that I've been trying so hard to do, but instead of it becomes something I'm trying to do, it becomes who I am. There become certain non-negotiables that get established in my life. There are certain boundaries that get established in my life, certain disciplines that get established in my life, certain considerations that get established in my life that are a result of knowing God, not just knowing I should do those things. There's a difference, amen? Because who you are affects what you do. What we're called to do as Christian leaders is important. Do you believe that? I mean, it's really important. And we're all Christians 
who claim the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if that's the case, then we've all been given a certain responsibility. We've all been given certain influence that God has saw fit that we would have in our lives. And what we do matters because it affects eternity. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when you show up on Sunday morning, we're serious about what we do. We're not here playing games. We're not just trying to create some type of atmosphere or environment that everyone can just enjoy, high five, shake hands, hug it out, have a little tear or two. I enjoyed that. It moved me. And then go home completely unchanged. That's not the goal. If, if, if that's happening, then we're missing the mark somewhere. Amen? Amen? We're serious about what we do. That's why we spend time in prayer. That's why we have prayer Monday through Thursday at 8.30 every morning. That's why we have pre-service prayer at 8 o'clock and then immediately following at 10.05 after the second service. That's why we're doing these things because we're serious about this. That's why we're putting the work in to host the Global Leadership Summit, not because we were like, huh, that sounds neat. Let's do that with our time. No, believe me, the, the hours that we have available as leadership here at this local church, we have to manage and steward those things well and consider what we invest those things in because we can't just pick up another project just for funsies. When we saw that, we said, no, this is going to make an impact on our church and in our community, and we believe in it, and so that's why we're hosting it. Is it going to be a lot of work? Oh, yeah, absolutely it's going to be a lot of work. That's why we just spent time remodeling our entire children's wing and expanding our classrooms, not because we thought it would be neat for your kids to have a fun place to play because they're not in there playing. They're in there learning the Word of God. They're in there being in an environment where they're being loved by people who love God and they're being taught truth in those areas. And if they have fun in there, bonus. We want them to enjoy it. We want them to know the Word of God is fun. We want them to know living for Jesus is is fun and coming to church is fun. But the primary goal is that they have an encounter with the love and truth of God. And it's happening. That's why we spent money and time and effort putting all of that together. We're serious about this. Amen? We're not just doing it because it's what you're supposed to do on Sunday morning and I need to check it off of my list so I feel better about myself. Leaders need to be serious about what they're doing because they know who they are. And they know the responsibility they've been given because of who they are. And we as Christian leaders need to realize what we do is important. Crete was tired of false teachers. Paul was saying, show them something different, Titus. Show them something different. A leader's integrity is always being tested. Always. Leaders are... Are, are, are sometimes swayed. And, and those who are, are swayed too often or too easily or succumb to temptation in order to try to gain popularity, success, or power are eventually going to fall to darkness when they allow that to gain ground in their lives. That's why our influence in guarding and protecting and maintaining a high level of moral integrity is so important. Amen? Because people are watching. People are looking. People are wanting something real. And are we modeling it for them? Are we raising the standard in our own lives? Are we allowing who we are to be affected and influenced by the gospel to the point to where we begin to act 
differently? Or do we just call ourselves Christian by name only? And other than the fact that we would have a Christian t-shirt on or a piece of Christian jewelry or some bumper sticker on our car, besides that, would anyone even know? Beside the fact that maybe we could say we attend church regularly, is there anything else that someone could pick up on in your life? Is there any other identifying factor that would make someone go, I bet you're a Christian, or there's something different about you? Is the way you act and react to situations in life so starkly contrasted to the pattern of this world that you're living out of an understanding of sound doctrine of grace that people go, there's something different here. This is not what I'm used to. This is not what is ordinary. This is not what I've always seen. What's different about you? I got shook to my core the other day, and I have not been able to forget this instance. I took my kids to Awana over at the Evangelical Free Church this past Wednesday night. And we have a little neighborhood kid, probably about six years old, I'm thinking. Little girl that, man, right when I fall asleep on the couch, rings my doorbell. (laughs) It's like she knows when I fall asleep on the couch and my doorbell rings and I get up and there's this little girl with her little curls, big smile on her face. Can Josiah, Abby, and Leah come play? Sure. She's been coming over our house quite a bit lately. And we were going to Awana this past Wednesday. And she just jumped right in and said, can I come? And I said, sure, let's go ask your parents. And we did. And her parents gave the green light. Everything's fine. So we all get in the car. Well, if you're a part of Awana, you have to bring certain things to get like different points and awards and things like that if you're familiar with the Awana program. And one of the things you need to bring to Awana is a Bible. <laughs> you go into a church program, bring a Bible. So they brought their Bible, and my kids were in the back flipping through the Bible. And I'm listening to conversations happening in the back seat, and I overhear this little girl say, what's that? And one of my daughters said, it's a Bible. And the next words out of her mouth, I can still hear, what's a Bible? This little girl said, what is a Bible? And then my my daughter Leah She said, it's a story about God, you know, back when he was alive. (laughs) No, 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 no. I said, and then my daughter Abigail on cue yells out, Leah, God's not dead. He's surely alive. (laughs) So train up a child in the way they'll go. So I feel like I'm doing a good job on some level. One of two twins isn't bad. (laughs) But... She yelled at God's not dead. And I said, no, baby. I said, God's still alive. She said, oh, I know that, but you know what I mean. Jesus died on the cross. And I, yeah, I know what you were trying to say. And so we were sitting there telling this little girl who had no idea. We live under this assumption that people just know. We live under this assumption that they just know. We live under this assumption that in our area, our little Sheboygan County, that there aren't people that surely have not heard of Jesus or the Bible or have a relationship with him or at some level, everybody in Sheboygan County goes to church, not that little girl. She doesn't know what a Bible is. So 
what are we doing with the influence that God has given us? What are we doing with the responsibility that God has given us? Are we investing in growing? Are we investing in knowing Him? Are we investing in growing in our understanding of the gospel so it affects and changes what we do? Or are we just going, oh, I already know that. Oh, I've heard that before. You see, everyone wins when a leader gets better. Everyone. Because of influence. Because leadership is influence. And when you as a leader get better, everyone around wins. When you get stronger in your faith, when you get stronger in your understanding of Scripture, when you get stronger in your understanding of grace, when you get sharper in how you communicate to other people, when you get sharper in how you relate with other people, when you say, I'm not going to stay here, I want to grow, I want to change, my influence begins to expand a little bit more and a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, God begins to use you to do things you never thought that you would ever do. When a leader gets better, his or her influence expands, it deepens, and thus it makes a greater impact for the kingdom of God. Paul was trying to get Titus to see, listen, you've got to earn a right for this influence to expand to be able to speak in other people's lives. We just can't go tomorrow and just knock on everyone's cubicle at work and say, get right or get left. Hell's not half full, you sinner. You need to go and, and, and repent, and you need to give your heart to Jesus, and this is how it needs to work, and you need to go and do all these things. You do that, your coworker's going to be like, whoa, 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 chill out a second. Hold the phone. Even though what you may be saying is true, your tactic may not be the best. You have to earn the right to truly speak into people's lives, and that's by showing them that you care. Amen? That's by serving them. That's why Paul was trying to get Titus to see this is the type of person you need to be. This is the type of person you need to model, the type of life you need to model because it's going to earn a right into people's lives to where you're going to have a lot greater influence than you would. Pastor Keith said this the other day. I don't think he came up with it. I think he stole it from somebody. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, said, he said, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. We have this idea that if we're moving fast with people, that we're accomplishing a lot. But actually, the exact opposite is true, because if we move fast with people in our minds, actually with them, we're not gaining very much ground. We're trying to get them to go from A to Z with our method, with our way of doing things. But actually, moving slower with them is moving a lot faster than you realize. For example, we could take a stack of 500 cards, and I could have them rubber stamped with a message to our church, and we could just have them run through a copy machine, just boom, 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 send them out. And I would think, man, we just sent a personal message to everyone in the church, and they're going to feel warm and loved. I'm moving fast with our congregation. Or I could stop and I could handwrite five postcards to someone. Which one's going to have the greater impact on someone's life? The personal handwritten stop, slow down, or the one that I thought was moving fast because I got a lot done with a little bit of time. Actually, that's moving slower. Actually, I got one of these things in the mail yesterday that looked really important, like it had like perforated edges I had to tear off, and I thought, oh no, do I owe somebody money? All my bills are paid. What's going on? I rip into it. <laughs> Reply now. You can save on refinancing your home. Oh, that made me so mad. It made me so mad because it looked like it was super important or like I had done something wrong. Open immediately, urgent. 
I'm like, yeah, you just went actually backwards with me. <laughs> if I were ever going to pick any company to refinance my home, it wouldn't be one that almost gave me a heart attack. <laughs> fast is slow. Slow is fast. You see, everyone wins when a leader gets better. And that influence expands for the kingdom when we open ourselves up to constant need for the gospel by remaining teachable from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. It's all about humility. Amen? Amen. Would you stand this morning? I want to read one more scripture before we go. James 4 and 6. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.